This is the Concealed Carry Podcast, episode number 203. What? It could be a guitar. <laughs> Welcome to the Concealed Carry Podcast, part of the ConcealedCarry.com network. I am your host, Riley Bowman, and tonight I am joined by Mr. Jacob Paulson, Mr. Air Guitar Jacob Paulson. You know... We talk about dry fire all the time. I don't know what you got against air guitar. Do you actually play the guitar? No. I have no intentions of ever playing the guitar beyond the air guitar. So what's the point of dry firing <laughs> air guitar? <laughs> Makes me feel awesome. Good for you, man. All right. Yeah, well. <laughs> hey, folks. Welcome to this episode of the Concealed Carry Podcast. Uh, we've got some really amazing news stories to cover with you here tonight. First of all, there are three justified stories that, are, I mean, like, they couldn't have come at a more perfect time. I think with what's going on in our country right now, the debate that's going on out there, uh, these stories are just perfect, you know, to add to this dialogue. And, uh, I mean, I've got someone recently that was commenting on Facebook and saying that they're pro two gun or pro 2A, but eh, why do we need these AR-15s? And there's a story this week. I mean, just it's like it just fell out of the heavens. You know, I mean, it's a perfect story to make the case for AR-15s. Yeah, you know, it's not rocket science, though. I mean, just to throw it out there, like, they're kind of the perfect gun. So that's for why. a lot of things they are. Yeah, I mean, if I could shove one down my pants, I wouldn't need handguns. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, for, for self-defense, home defense, uh, things like that. I mean, they, they are uh, hard to be. It would be my, my personal choice in a lot of situations. Uh, I'm very comfortable with an AR. I shoot it well. Uh, the beauty of the platform, right, is just the customization uh, is there. They're so easy to use. Uh, easy easy of, to train on. Ease of use, low recoil, yeah. effective. I mean, my, my kids shoot an AR-15. Right, right. They never shoot any of your handguns. No, my son does. Well, he's old enough, I suppose. Mom, my, my daughters have. My, my six-year-old or seven-year-old now, she she loves guns, period. She loves all guns. She, she's shooting a 9mm. Uh, what has she shot? No, she's she still hasn't quite worked up to the 9mm. Okay, okay. But I suspect that'll come sooner rather than yeah. later. She's she's doing very well. Anyway, so let's get into some, some content here. But first of all, uh, today's episode is brought to you by ConcealedCarry.com's new vehicle firearm tactics course uh and i need to, to warn you that right now we have this special deal going on uh many of you podcast listeners would have heard over the weekend we, we released a special little uh snippet on the podcast where we explain to you a, a special deal only for podcast listeners seriously this is not anywhere else we're not offering this to anybody else anywhere this is only for you uh thank you podcast listeners so the details are Head on over to concealedcarry.com forward slash VFT podcast. And what you're going to find there is two options, really. Okay. Now, both, both options are centered around this vehicle firearm tactics course that we filmed back in November. We put a lot of, a lot of work into this, a lot of blood, sweat, and tears. And there was blood. Indeed. I mean, this is not, you're not <laughs> you may still have a scar up there. I don't know. Yeah. Riley shot me. <laughs> and so uh, we worked, worked really hard on it and we, we wanted to put together a product that is helpful, that is educational, 
uh, for our followers, our viewers, our listeners. And uh, I think we achieved that. Yeah. And we wanted it to be common sense. We wanted it to be for the everyday man. We wanted it to be, you know, uh, just good content and, and education for, for everybody out there. Uh, so the Vehicle Firearm Tactics course was given away for free to those that purchased Brave Response Appendix Holsters during a special launch back in November. November 11th to November, no, November 13th to November 18th. Right. Yeah. And so those of you that got the course for free because you bought that holster during that window, uh, you have the opportunity now to buy the DVD for $9.99. Yep. And that, that's a that's a that's a killer deal. That includes shipping. Yeah, that's that's yeah. out the door. It's it, there's no other commitment beyond that. It's the and and follow the instructions. You go to concealedcarry.com forward slash vft podcast, and you, you can you'll find a link where you can buy the DVD for nine ninety nine. Now another opportunity for those you may have missed the window of opportunity on that brave response appendix holster during that special launch, and missed out on getting the course for free the online course, but now you can buy the course. Okay. For a, a, discounted, a, a discounted rate, rate discounted, I might add. Yeah. And for podcast listeners only, if you do that, you'll get the DVD for free. Now you do need to forward us your receipt. Now That's there's right. the instructions are on the page. We've had a couple of people have questions about, wait, how do I, you know, I don't know. It doesn't show the DVD on my order. Yeah. It's not going to, you have to follow the instructions on the page. You have to forward us your email, your, your email receipt. So we know to send you the DVD for free. So the short of it is if you're a listener podcast, we're trying to hook you up. We're trying to make sure that as many people as possible take advantage of this content uh, pretty hard to beat the deal. The discounted rate is $27.62, but you got to act on this before tomorrow at midnight, before, yeah. before it's March. Those of you that are watching on Facebook right now, tomorrow at midnight, well, for some of you, it's already tomorrow, the 28th, the last day of the month of February, midnight, uh, mountain time, Pacific time, mountain time, mountain time. Uh, midnight. Yeah. Assume anything we ever say is mountain time. Right. Right. Yeah. We're based in Denver. We're, we're, you know, in the Rockies. So mountain time anyway. So you've got till tomorrow night to purchase vehicle firearm tactics and you'll get the free DVD or go to that link. Once again, well, you're going to go to link either way. That's, that's where you're going to find the, the deal and the opportunity. So either you already got the course for free or you already, uh, as part of that uh, Brave Response Appendix holster offer, or you're going to buy the course one way or another. You're going to be able to you're going to get an opportunity to get the DVD, and uh, those will be shipped here in a couple of weeks. And so head on over to concealedcarry.com/vftpodcast. Uh, those of you that are listening only on the podcast, uh, this will be published probably late tonight it'll be early tomorrow morning and so you'll have just you'll have less than probably 18 hours to uh, make that happen so act on it fast because uh, once it's gone it's gone that special offer uh, that won't come back again all righty so um hey it's time jacob by the way for uh andrew brinka's law of self-defense case of the week let's rock it andrew Thanks to the Concealed Carry Podcast for having me on to share this week's Law of Self-Defense Case of the Week. I'm attorney Andrew Branca with lawofselfdefense.com. This content is provided for general educational purposes only. It does not constitute legal advice. 
If you are in need of legal advice, you must consult with competent legal counsel licensed to practice in the relevant jurisdiction. This week's case of the week, State v. Oates, comes out of the Missouri Supreme Court in a decision handed down February 13th, 2018. It involves a case in which prosecutors carefully selected a criminal charge for which the legal defense of self-defense would not be permitted. That's right. Prosecutors can do that if the facts of the case allow, in which case self-defense is taken off the table as a legal defense. Once again, this appellate decision does not involve good guys like us. In this case, it involves a marijuana dealer and his customers. But always remember that the appellate case law created from cases involving genuine criminals is exactly the same case law that will be applied to us. Here, in this case, the defendant, Oates, was engaged in a transaction to sell marijuana to two people who would ultimately be the victims in this case. By victims, of course, I mean the victims of the defendant's use of force. The victims were in a parked car, and the defendant leaned in the driver's side window and handed them a plastic storage container full of marijuana for them to inspect. Then the victim driving the car stepped on the gas pedal. The defendant caught halfway in the moving vehicle, lunged into the vehicle, and fell into the backseat. There, the defendant shot and killed both of the victims. The defendant was charged with two counts of second-degree murder and also two counts of felony murder. For those who don't know, a person commits felony murder if they commit any underlying felony and in the perpetration of that felony, another person dies as a result of the perpetration of that felony. The underlying felony in this case was the drug transaction. Importantly, in the context of this case, you need to understand that the underlying felony required for felony murder need not be a felony that involves the intentional use of force. Indeed, the person charged with the felony murder need not have been using any force at all. For example, imagine that Bob and Joe rob a convenience store with Bob wielding the gun inside the store and Joe collaborating by staying out in the car as the getaway driver. And during the robbery, Bob shoots and kills the store clerk. Bob, as the actual user of force, is arguably guilty of straight-up murder of the clerk. Joe, out in the getaway car, who did not himself use force against the clerk, would not be guilty of straight-up murder, but is arguably guilty of felony murder. The death occurred in the course of Joe committing an underlying felony, the aiding and abetting of the armed robbery. In fact, imagine that Bob's gun was fake. And when he committed the robbery, he did not shoot and kill the clerk, but the clerk shot and killed him. Clearly, the clerk is not guilty of murder. He was acting in self-defense. But Joe out in the car can nevertheless be guilty of felony murder because somebody, in this case, his collaborator, Bob, was killed in the perpetration of a felony in which Joe was taking part, that robbery. All this, even though neither Joe nor Bob, in the second scenario, used any force against anybody. Now, the drug-dealing defendant in this case requested the trial judge to give a self-defense jury instruction in his case, arguing that he shot the two victims out of fear that they were going to kill him. The judge agreed to the self-defense jury instruction in part. The judge agreed to the self-defense jury instruction for the two murder charges against the defendant, but not for the two felony murder charges against the defendant. 
In other words, the jury was told that they could acquit the defendant of the murder charges on the basis of self-defense, but they could not acquit the defendant of the felony murder charges on the basis of self-defense. Sure enough, the jury acquitted the defendant of the two counts of murder, but convicted him on the two counts of felony murder. Now, the defendant appealed his conviction on the grounds that the trial judge should have instructed the jury that self-defense was relevant to the felony murder charges as well as the murder charges. The Court of Appeals confirmed his conviction, and the defendant then appealed to the Missouri Supreme Court, where we are now. The Missouri Supreme Court opinion notes that self-defense is a legal defense applicable to any criminal charge based on the intentional use of force against another. Indeed, it is a legal defense only to a criminal charge based on the intentional use of force against another. Self-defense was an appropriate legal defense to the criminal charges of murder in this case, because murder requires intent to use deadly force against another person. And it was correct for the trial judge to instruct the jury on self-defense with respect to the murder charges. However, Felony murder is not necessarily based on the intentional use of force against another. If the underlying felony was not one that involved the intentional use of force, then the legal defense of self-defense is not relevant. Here, the basis of the defendant's felony murder charge was not his use of force against the victims. It was based on his commission of the drug felony as the felony underlying the felony murder charge. Because dealing marijuana does not inherently involve the use of force, self-defense is not a legal defense to a charge of felony murder based on the underlying felony of dealing marijuana. Therefore, the trial judge is correct to not instruct a jury to consider self-defense as a defense to felony murder. And the Missouri Supreme Court here affirmed the defendant's convictions. If you'd like to read the full text of this appellate decision, and we always encourage you to do so, you can find it linked at our Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash law of self-defense. That's it for this law of self-defense case of the week. As a listener of the Concealed Carry podcast, you can save 10% on just about everything at lawofselfdefense.com, including live classes, online classes, instructional DVDs and books, and more by pointing your browser to lawofselfdefense.com forward slash concealed carry and using the discount code ccp for concealed carry podcast at checkout don't forget you carry a gun so you're hard to kill know the law so you're hard to convict i'm attorney andrew branca for law of self-defense.com well there you go mr branca giving us a rundown of uh, this week's case of the week hope you all found that uh, useful and uh Good information to have. I know it's good good for me. Uh, that's what we enjoy with uh, our association with Andrew is uh, there's always something to learn, and he keeps you sharp. That's for sure. So uh, real quick, Jacob, uh, we appreciate all of you out there that have uh, recently, there's been quite a few of you leaving reviews of the podcast on iTunes. I want you to know that we really appreciate that. It's awesome to see those reviews and to get that feedback from you. It also helps us rank better in iTunes, which means more concealed carriers and gun owners out there, responsible Americans get access to this podcast. They're going to find it easier. So, Jacob, I think you had you had one you wanted to share. Yeah, I was going to go with, uh, let's see, username is Mr. Dueling Tree. I like it. 
This guy's definitely one of our one of one of our people. He's part of yeah. the nation. Part of the nation. <laughs> Guardian. Nation. Okay. So, Mr. Dueling Tree says, informative reviews of new products on the market. Great interviews with top trainers and icons of the gun industry. I look forward to each week's review of use of force, pointing out the good and bad in each case. Great show and well produced. That's uh, five stars from Mr. Cool. Dueling Tree. So thank you, Mr. Dueling Tree. Yeah, fantastic. Thank you very much. So uh, if you'd like to leave us a review of the podcast, if you'd like to reach out to us, I mean, number one, we we really do appreciate it if you can take the time and if you have access to go on iTunes and leave a review on there, that's where it has the most impact as far as helping our ratings and help the podcast reach more people. Uh, but certainly if you'd like to just send us an email, contact us, give us some feedback uh, directly, you can email us at podcast at concealedcarry.com. Jacob and I personally receive those emails. We see and respond to everyone. Uh, usually it's either him or me, usually him because he's a lot. He's very fast on on that computer on getting those emails. And we also have now our producer of the podcast, Matthew, who's not with us uh, due to the fact that he's not in San Diego <laughs> with us, but he's also responding to those emails too. So first news story for this episode today, there's been a lot of talk in the last week or two about the NRA and the NRA is taking a lot of heat being blamed for the Parkland, Florida uh, shooting, Marjorie Stoneman High School shooting. Uh, obviously, that's a bunch of bullcrap. <laughs> it's such bullcrap. It pisses <laughs> me off because and this is why. If, if we look at the opposite groups, yeah. right? Look at every town for gun safety, mayors against illegal guns, right? Like, look at, you look at the anti-gun lobby, okay? They are primarily fueled by the few. They really are. Yeah, I mean, Michael Bloomberg represents like a massive percentage, over half of the funding of some of those organizations. Yeah, but you, we never, we never say, you know, they're bad. You know, like no, like we, it's not, that's not the game. But the opposite is true. People look at the NRA as like if it's some like life-given entity of itself that's out there doing bad things, and and it. It's not. <laughs> it is primarily funded, and I know. I know that they they get some. They have some big benefactors, but the NRA gets more than half their funding from members, five right. million of them. So I'm tired right. of people like pointing at the NRA and saying you're bad. It's like, well, what you're saying then is that the five million of us that are members are bad. Yeah. It, All right. Sorry. So I mean, you have this terrible shooting that takes place there in Florida, and I mean, what we know now is obviously law enforcement was contacted dozens of times with you know uh, in regards to to the shooter to to Nicholas Cruz they were contacted dozens of times right there was some minor investigation done you know in the case of the YouTube channel where he left a comment about wanting to be a professional school shooter uh, FBI contacted the guy that forwarded that on to them but that was basically the extent of it right so we know that we know we had a deputy sheriff, uh, school resource officer that was on site. He's there as part of his job. His job is to keep those students safe. And he did not do so. He stayed outside the school. He did not go in. He did not engage the shooter. He did not do anything, uh, as far as we can tell, to, to try to, to limit the damage or even to help and save lives of students. He stayed outside the school. We know that when Coral Springs Police Department uh, officers showed up on the scene, they saw four 
sheriff's deputies on the scene taking cover behind their cars and not doing anything. All right. There's been talk that maybe there was some commands given over the radio, you know, maybe some conflicting reports or information that may have caused officers to not go in when they should have. Or, or I, the point is, we don't know exactly everything that happened or why it happened. What we know is that 5 million gun owners who are members of the NRA did not show up and shoot people. Right. And, you know, what, what, what we see is failures from a law enforcement agency, uh, Broward County Sheriff's Office and failures from perhaps the FBI, that's where the blame should be placed, not on the NRA. Now, I know you guys get that, but here's here's the story that we really want to cover here. And it says, the boycotts against the NRA. Now, so far, uh, companies like uh, Delta Airlines, United Airlines, um, uh, uh, banks, banks, insurance companies. Right, right. Now we're seeing, and there's there's related stories, Lockton Affinity, which is the, the insurance company that actually underwrites the policies for NRA Carry Guard. And all um, their instructor insurance. And their, exactly, their instructor insurance. We know that our instructor, Matt, our, our producer of the podcast, Matthew, he just told us today that yesterday he renewed his instructor insurance policy. And he's sitting there wondering, how does this affect that? And, and the point, the answer is we don't know. We don't know what's going on. There has not been any statements yet that I've seen from the NRA. There's not been any clarification from the underwriters and the insurance companies. They just said, we're, we're, we're going to stop backing that. So we don't know exactly when those policies, if, if they are in fact being canceled, we don't know if they will be. Uh, we don't know if that's the case when they would be. I mean, I can't imagine they wouldn't be canceled if these companies are saying we're not backing them anymore, right? So, but the fact is we don't know everything yet. But but the key here is that uh, this story uh, is covering a lot. There's a lot of uh, support on social media. Uh, there's tons of these posts from Facebook and Twitter saying, I mean, here's an example from a guy named Alexander. If you support the right to bear arms, go ahead and join the NRA today like I did. The five-year membership is only $100. I suspect that what's going on right now is actually like the NRA is probably, I mean, there's probably some, some things they're not happy about, sure. but they're probably happy with money that's coming into the NRA right now. Well, yeah, there's also the negative, the opposite backlash, right? You have organizations who were supporting the NRA one way or another. I look at Delta airlines, right? So Delta airlines basically would give people discounted flights if they were headed to the NRA annual meetings or convention things, stuff like that. Right. So, so you get you know a lot of pressure from the anti-gunners on Delta, like Delta, how dare you support the NRA? You're, you're supporting gun violence. So <laughs> Delta's folds like, oh, geez, yeah, we better stop giving them discounts on flights, right? So poof, hey, we're not. I didn't even know those discounts existed. I know, right? Is that why you joined the NRA? No. <laughs> Delta and and yeah, no one no one ever joined the NRA, so they get a discount on Delta United flights once a year. But anyway, so Delta, uh, you know, they say, okay, fine, we're not going to do that anymore. As did United, and now look at the, the reverse backlash. So yeah. Delta was about to get a huge tax cut break <laughs> yeah. in the state of Georgia. That that's the follow up story oh, it's here. Fantastic. Yeah, so they were going to get this awesome tax break. It's going to be fantastic. Here it is on the, the Daily Wire, dailywire.com. Yeah. Yeah. And the, the governor Georgia, of Georgia Senate makes decision on Delta tax deal after airline dropped the NRA. Now get this, guys. This tax deal. Now, first of all, I got to ask why why were they getting a tax deal? I mean, oh, because government <laughs> loves to give tax deals. To, 
corporations. <laughs> now, now this, by the way, I mean this is substantial. Uh, let me let me quote from the. Uh, this is actually in the Daily Wire article, and they're quoting from the Atlanta Constitution Journal. Uh, it says here. This came, obviously, after Delta desperately sought to find neutral ground in a gun debate that has very little trying, uh, that has very little, trying to soothe concerns among conservative lawmakers infuriated by the company's decision to end discounted rates for NRA members in the wake of the mass shooting at the Florida high school. That move forced Governor Nathan Deal and other supporters of the $50 million jet fuel sales tax exemption to shift to the defensive and prompted a growing number of Republicans to try to strip the provision out of a broader tax cut bill that has already passed the state house. Did I just read that right? $50 million jet fuel sales tax exemption. Sounds like a lot of money. <clears throat> here's what I'm thinking, That'll Jacob. That'll here's, here's what I'm thinking. I'll bet you that hurts a lot worse than the any business that they might lose from people that would stop buying tickets because they're upset with, <laughs> over well, here, some NRA and, discount. And here's the thing: like we have, that nobody knows about. If you go on Google and you do a you do a Google search for businesses that prohibit or businesses with no gun policies, businesses that prohibit guns, you know things like that. Um, I think that I think right now we're the number one result on Google. And what you have is a blog post on, on our website, on concealcarry.com. And on, on that blog post, we basically list like 50 companies that have no gun policies. Right. And here's where it gets entertaining, the comments. Mm-hmm. Go, re- go read the comments on this blog post because you have a bunch of people who make comments like, well, they have no, they have no signs, so I shop there anywhere anyway. Or, well, their policy is not enforceable in my state, so I just shop there anyway. Or, oh, it's concealed. They're not going to know I shop there anyway. And you need to start understanding that you know, things move in this country. Politics are driven by economics. Oh, absolutely. Everything is driven by the cash. Yeah. And, and so you have to vote with your wallet. You know, you, yeah, it's totally true that even though Costco's policy may or may not be enforceable in the state of whatever you live in, uh, the reality is every time you shop at Costco, you're supporting a company that does not support your right to bear arms. Yeah. So, it, it, which ironic Costco sells gun safes, by the way, that always cracks me up. Yeah. Pretty good deal too. Yeah. Yeah. They do a great job. Of gun safes. <laughs> but uh, so not as good a deal as our website. That's true. The point is we got to learn to vote with our wallet. We got to learn that companies are motivated and driven by money above all else. Yeah. yeah. They can have all the ideals they want in the world, but you know, when you go to business, you let go of those ideals real fast. That's right. So anyway, um, you know, by the way, just a kind of a sidebar comment from me here. The NRA is not a perfect organization. We know that. The NRA has made mistakes in the past. I think they still probably make mistakes. Sure. Um, I'm not particularly crazy about how they go about, you know, raising money a lot of times as far as using a lot of fear tactics and this constant bombardment of, you know, mail mailings and emails and stuff like that, asking for more and more money. However, uh, they are one of the best chances we have uh, in this country to to have a, a consolidated effort from like-minded gun owners to f- fight against anti-gun legislation, which we're seeing a ton of things proposed. One thing that's not even official news story today, uh, we just didn't have time to fit it into the outline and into the schedule things, is that Minnesota is looking at they're proposing an insane amount of anti-gun uh, laws for this upcoming, for this uh, current uh, legislative session. 
Yeah, to the point of I mean, extreme ridiculousness. Like, if you think California is bad, or maybe even New York is bad, like they're talking about, like if everything went through, Minnesota would be the worst state to live in as far as gun rights go. Yeah, it's that bad as far as what's been proposed in Minnesota. So, uh, we'll maybe we'll feature that, you know, when once, especially once we have more details about all that, and maybe next week's episode or something. But just know, like, that's some of the stuff that's going on, and it's it's bad, it's ugly. We got the NRA. Uh, we've even got other other organizations like uh, Gun Owners of America, the Second Amendment Foundation. There's lots of great organizations. You know what? Let's band together and let's fight against this this anti gun legislation. Most of this legislation, by the way, is based in the uh, false, you know, a lot, in a lot of falsehoods, false premises, false arguments and and terrible logic. Uh, you know, we're saying, hey, let's let's ban assault rifles, for instance. Because, you know, it was involved in the shooting, but the fact of the matter is that there are many mass shootings that have occurred that haven't necessarily involved, you know, been involved with or had a an assault, a so-called assault rifle, right, AR-15 or whatever, uh, used in that shooting. Uh, and then there's also things that are thrown out there, such as, well, mass shootings have, you know, we, we've seen this. We've heard this in the media. We've heard this from some of those legislators down in Florida, including the sheriff, the Broward County Sheriff. Mass shootings, they say, are on this this intense, you know, steep incline. You know, like they're they're on right. on the increase. Right. So there's a story here from PolitiFact. And PolitiFact, you know, th- their whole shtick is taking facts that are things that are thrown out in the media as facts and saying whether it's true or not. They're fact checkers. And, you know, sometimes in my opinion, I've read some of the PolitiFact stuff and I've seen stuff. I'm like, ah, I don't know if I completely agree with their assessment on that. This one I, I think is dead on. Okay. So the question here is, did mass shootings actually increase by 200% since assault weapons ban, since the assault weapons ban expired? Representative Ted Deutsch, Democrat of Florida He's been very heavy in the media. He's been claiming that mass shootings have increased substantially after the assault weapons ban expired 200%. over 10 years ago. Yeah, in 2004, since, what do you say? Since 2004, mass shootings are up 200%. Yeah. That's, that's, that's the claim. Now, if you, you and I hearing that, would you believe that? Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I heard that. I was like, I don't think so. Here, here's what I right? know. Every time these, something like this happens, you see stats like this get thrown out. And, oh, and you also see stats get thrown out that say, no, that's bull crap. Violent, violent crime yep. is at an all-time low. Uh, you know, homicides are at an all-time low. You know, and so so it, right. there's always conflicting bull crap. Now, the problem is that much of the general public, especially if they don't st- – I mean, so where I was going, by the way, is I, I heard this. I said, I was like, 200%. I just – I don't know about that. That's I don't believe that. You dig a little bit deeper, it's not true at all. But the general media and public listening to this kind of stuff on the media, hearing this get propagated from Representative Deutsch, Maxine Waters saying stuff, Nancy Pelosi saying stuff, they they, they believe them. Well, this right? quote is from a CNN town hall. Exactly. He said that I watched that town hall, which was a joke, by the way, uh, and Here's, here's what he said, okay? He said, let's be clear, mass shootings went up 200% in the decade after the, the assault weapons ban expired. 
And he said this during the February 21st CNN town hall with survivors of the mass shooting. And PolitiFact says, we fact-checked several claims about this. Okay. And so first they talked about the actual assault weapons ban that existed from 94 to 2004. Uh, and one key takeaway it says here is that the report said, this is referring to a report that was put together uh, that assessed that ban. This was done for the U.S. Justice Department, and it said the report said it was premature to make a definitive conclusion about the ban's impact. It said there had been mixed results with reducing criminal use of the banned guns and magazines. Basically, guys, the assault weapons ban did not work. Didn't, it didn't have any impact on anything at all. Yeah. And uh, so they, they dig a little bit deeper, and I, I, you know, we, just due to time, I'm going to kind of jump ahead here, and basically... What they said is that this claim is at best very misleading for a few reasons, referring to this claim that these mass shootings increased by 200%. says, for starters, to arrive at a 200% increase, the claim actually has to go back to 1900 and not the decade after the ban's expiration that Deutsch cited. Uh, the assault weapons ban was only in effect from 94 to 2004, and that is the relevant period to compare with the period after 2004 if one is making a claim about the impact of the assault weapons ban, said Gary Kleck. Uh, he's an emer- emeritus professor of criminology and criminal justice at Florida State. Okay, It's also important to factor in population size changes. Okay, so please note that things, you know, the population is a lot different now than it was even in 2004 or even 1994. And so basically, if if you look at rates and population changes and you take all the facts into consideration, PolitiFact says mass shootings, the rate has not increased. Yeah, they, they, they call it the whole claim mostly false. That's right. That's what, that's what they say. Which, <laughs> that's where sometimes I disagree with them because it's like, Mostly false. Uh, pretty much is well, false. It, anyway. it depends on what you're implying. I mean, here's the more relevant point. Like the, what the conclusion he's trying to imply is that it is because the ban expired that mass shootings are up. And if he had said, you know, since the ban expired, mass shootings are up, and it's because the ban expired, then I think we could call that total bullcrap. Yeah. Because then we'd have to look at only incidents that were involved in uh, something that had been banned during that decade. Yeah. Right? And so anyway, if you, read, if you read the whole article, and it'll be in the show notes, and I think you'll see that yeah, yeah, there might be some shred of t- truth to what he did say. So I, I get the mostly false part. Keep, keep in mind that the arguments being used right now is that to prevent the next parkland from occurring, we have to ban semi-automatic rifles. Uh, did we have mass shootings during the assault weapons ban? Yep. What's well, a big one? Columbine. Ten round mags. There you go. Just reload. Next story from WashingtonExaminer.com. Hold on. I'm sorry. Oh. So we actually heard an interesting thing here in San Diego mm. last night. Uh, uh-huh. A very uh, well-recognized individual yeah. uh, who's on a very popular show that involves large fish that swim around in a glass cage. And he said that his big goal now is to get, quote, you were there, what did he say? Uh, he'd like to get these guns off the streets. Oh, did he say guns? What did he call them? These assault rifles. Off the streets. Off the streets. Assault rifles off the streets. Uh, these. Oh, excuse me. Actually, I misquoted. He said, to, let's get these automatics Thank you. off the streets. Yeah, Thank you. Yeah. We need to get these automatics off the streets. 
<laughs> right? End quote. Like, this is the kind of ignorance we're fighting. We're fighting someone yep. who is a very, very high recognized TV celebrity and successful businessman standing in front of a group of about 5,000 people who cheered when he said, we got to get these automatics off the Not screen. all of them cheered, but there was a pretty substantial group of them. So, it was disheartening to hear. Yeah, so... But, I mean, obviously, I mean, not, not a huge surprise, right? I right. mean... Uh, That's the point, is that does he know what an automatic is? Clearly not. If, if he meant fully automatic, um, congratulations, we did that. You're good to go, buddy. Yeah. Like, done, check, move on. Yeah, if he, pretty if much. He, I mean... If, if he meant semi-automatic... Yes, you can acquire pre-1986 ones through, you know, going through the requisite right. paperwork sure. and your $200 you spend 20 grand. Stamp. Yeah. Yes, they're so, very expensive. But for the most part, like, we, we did that already. We made yeah. those illegal, right? So yeah. if he's talking about semi-automatics... Yep. Here's the funny thing, right, Jacob? So so how often have fully automatic weapons been used in mass shootings in, in the U.S., you know, say in the last 30 years? Well... Like, I, I like don't know. hardly ever, right? What I do know is that we have a stat in one of our stories today that compares it to knife deaths. True. But, but hold on a sec. Just, just hear me out here with where I'm going with this, okay? So there would be those that would say because of the 1986, you know, ban on fully automatics or at least restricting them to making them an NFA item, only item, uh, that we've essentially eliminated those from being used as weapons on the streets okay which is not entirely true because there are illegal full autos that are used gangs are using them but it's not that common that that is true what do they what else do they want us to ban silencers how often are silencers used in crimes can you think of a mass shooting where silencer or suppressor was used no no no, can't right but but yet we still have to ban them because they might be used you know, they, they basically aren't already being used and they're more prevalent than ever. Yeah. Even though you still have to go through the whole long process and pay your tax stamp and all that, uh, there's more of them out there than there's ever been in the history of this country probably and they are hardly ever used in crimes. Now, some would still say it's because they are still regulated. Uh, whatever, it's bull crap. So the point is, I mean, like... <laughs> Do you yeah. see where I'm going with this? I mean, though? the point, like, uh, I don't see what's wrong with letting criminals use them. What I mean by that, so sure, let me, let me sure. be clear. Like, I mean, so what if, like, if criminals, like, are hopefully an anti-gunner is not listening to this right, right like, now. If, if you're a criminal and you're shooting someone with a gun, that's bad, right? Yeah. Like, I'm, I'm not for that. I do not support that, right? Like, let's, let's take care of those people. Now, let's add a suppressor. Does that change anything at all in your world? Maybe not necessarily in my world, but in the anti-gunner's world, Heaven forbid we won't be able to hear where the gunshots are coming from, Jake. We won't know where to run. Well, anti-gunners are morons, <laughs> right? Clearly, they've never shot a gun with a suppressor. And on so it. we come full cycle or circle back to the statement that we heard last night about getting those automatics off the streets. The point is, they don't know what they're talking about about any of this stuff, and they expect us. To come to the table and compromise. Actually, it's not even compromised. They don't expect us to compromise. Do you hear the rhetoric that is coming out of Florida that's coming from these high school students that don't know squat, sorry to say? Do you hear all this? They know nothing about the thing they are saying that we need to ban. Oh, <sighs> all right. Is Trump's push for an AR-15 age limit constitutional? 
This is from the WashingtonExaminer.com. And uh, so he did make some news. You know, last week, uh, Trump, there, there was word that he was starting to come around as far as, yeah, okay, maybe we'll raise this age uh, for purchasing rifles from 18 to 21, particularly semi-automatic ones from 18 to 21. Okay. I was disappointed to hear that because Trump committed to us in his campaign that he was pro second amendment all the way through and through. He would not be doing anything to, you know, limit gun rights. Right. Yeah, he said we needed no additional yeah. regulation. Yeah. The NRA backed him. Um, you know, that all sounded good. And, and I, I think he has made it fairly clear that he is generally pro gun, but this has been the first chink in the armor as far as, he might not be as pro-gun as we hoped, but this article, by the way, is actually backtracking on that. It's saying that he may be cooling down to the idea of of uh, requiring or going for that twenty-one age limit, right? Um, and this, and by that, and actually, this article doesn't say that necessarily straight out right. That is another article I was reading that was saying eh, he may be backtracking on that. This article, I think, gives us some insight as to why that might be the case, because this one suggests that it might not even be that constitutional. I mean, obviously, pro-gunners, you guys, well, any infringement in our world is not cool, right? But this is making a pretty good case, and actually quotes from a federal judge, Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals Judge Edith Jones, who wrote a fiery 2013 dissent, it says, um, about the handgun sales restriction, you know. So the point is, is there's definitely some thought that choosing this arbitrary age of 21 as opposed to 18 may not have any sort of constitutional basis. Part of this, if you go way back, I mean, think about it. In 1791 or thereabouts, or 1805 doesn't really matter. Back in those days, did the Second Amendment have an age limit? Did the Constitution have an age limit? Was there was there a voting age, you know, amendment, for and instance? That's, that's part of the argument, right? Right. Is that, hey, there were parts of the Constitution that had age limits. Bill of Rights. There were. But this one did not. No, exactly. So and if they wanted one, they clearly had no a, problem. A good example it yeah. gave was that any male 16 years of age or older was expected to serve in the militia and provide their own weapon. So... Now, what we're not reporting on here, uh, so I just but I'm remembering the other the other interesting thing that Trump is talking about now. In addition to the whole, you know, should we have age limits on on rifles thing, or increase that that age right. limit? The other thing Trump now seems to be showing support for is universal background checks. Yep, uh, he tweeted something almost that made it sound like he's been for it all the time. Something about you know maybe Congress will finally move on this. It's like, well, well, well so, huh? Are, <laughs> are you moving on this? Where'd that come from? Yeah, we we didn't know that. Yeah. So that'll be the other thing for us to keep an eye on is that Trump is is now appears to be in support of universal background checks. The the irony once again is we still hear no legitimate helpful proposals. Right. Yeah, that, that that would actually right. fix the thing that they're saying they yeah. want to fix. The Parkland Florida shooter passed the background checks. Now you want to talk about that being a failure on uh, whether it's mental health 
or a failure. I mean, obviously there was the failure of things being reported to police that weren't taken action on that may have resulted yeah. in him being restricted. But these proposals don't sh- don't address it, those failures. Exactly. They only say, well, let's let let's make additional people pass back. Yeah, let's well, ra- let, they already passed yep. them. And it's so tr- it's true of many many other. I mean, when we're talking about mass shootings, by and large, these mass shooters acquire their guns through legal means. Well, okay. So here's what we could do. I think you could say that ninety ninety eight percent. Yeah, quote me. Ninety eight percent either steal the gun from someone who passed a background check, or they pass a background check themselves. Meaning that universal background checks would have had no effect. Yeah, and the like few exceptions that you're that you might be implying that exist would be Sandy Hook, where that young man stole the, the rifle from his mom, but she passed the background check. Exactly. Right. So a universal background um, check had, would have had no effect. But I mean, I mean Virginia Tech, uh, the Aurora Theater. Uh, Florida now, San Bernardino, the Texas uh, church shooting, the Tennessee school shooting. Yeah, the Tennessee. Well, church shooting in Tennessee. Actually, there you go. The the Tennessee school shooting just a uh, month or so ago. Uh uh, That was actually a 15-year-old boy that took the guns from his parents. So, I mean, the point is, is background checks won't necessarily solve the mass shootings. That's important to recognize. Obviously, it's being ignored by the media. It's being ignored by even President Trump. Well, we'll keep an eye on that. Next up, what do you got there? Despite gun control advocates' claims, U.S. is not the worst country for mass shootings. This according to the website Investors.com or Investors, uh, Investors Business Daily. Yeah, this, this is, is actually editorial. This is actually a good piece. Yeah, they did a good job on this. I it's was impressed good, reading this, good this article. And this is important to note that when they're looking at these statistics, they're looking at it per capita. Because it's really easy to yeah. say, well, we have more mass shootings or we have more gun death or whatever in the U.S. Well, don't forget, we're also a massive freaking country. Yeah. Right? We have 350 million people now. Yeah. That's a lot of people. So when you compare us to France, you know, with a, with a relatively small population, of course we're going to beat them out or Germany yeah. or you know anything. So yeah you know the amazing thing is you look at the statistics right and who who's the what which country is at the top of that list and I believe it's Norway Norway number one which is offset because they're looking at statistics from like the last 10 years or whatever and you know there was that terrible shooting that happened there uh, a couple years ago which I mean we talk about a country a that has like two million people <laughs> I mean, it's not very hard to to really skew the the numbers there. Seventy seven dead. Yeah, it was terrible. Yeah, uh, but it goes to show. I mean, they they have reasonably strict gun control there, and yet this still this horrible thing happened with a weapon that would be described as as an assault weapon by most you know yep. anti gunners. Yep. Number two is Serbia. Uh, France, Macedonia, Albania, Slovakia, Finland, Belgium, Czech Republic, all of those have higher rates than the U.S. In case yeah. you're curious, the U.S. number 11 on the list. So they, you know, 10 companies beat us out. At, uh, so we're at a rate of 0.089. That's the death rate per million. Yeah. Death rate per million. Now, here's another interesting thing. Some people might say, okay, well, the instance of these events is lower in the U.S. than these other countries. 
But because of our gun problem, probably more people die here, right? That ain't the case either. Because it says, that's not all. There were also 27% more casualties from 2009 to 2015 per mass shooting incident in the European Union than in the U.S. So not only are the incidents more common in those countries, but they also have a significantly higher casualty rate. Yeah. Keep in mind, you know, there are those that would maybe point out and say that the the U.S., you know, uh, casualties that occur per incident is much, much higher. And it is, I mean, granted, it is high compared to most of the world. However, it talks about there were 16 cases where at least 15 people were killed. Out of those cases, four were in the United States, two in Germany, France, and the United Kingdom. Mm-hmm. Check this one out. You know, I just heard, by the way, Piers Morgan yesterday interviewing Antonio Okafor, and he said this kind of stuff never happens in the UK. Well, <clears throat> as it were, the UK has a 2.46 times higher frequency of these types of attacks, more than double the rate, 2.5%, 2.46 times higher rate. And Germany, 1.96 times higher rate, according to this article we're reading. So short answer is next time. You this know, doesn't excuse these sorts of things from happening. No. We, we don't want any of these to happen. But, but it points out that the problem, may, I mean, everyone wants to, to, to pile it on here on, on us poor Americans saying, you know, just how terrible these people are, how terrible your country is for even allowing this to happen. I mean, you should have banned these things years ago. And this paints a picture that it, it may not be as clean or as perfect in the rest of the world as they would have you believe. Well, I mean, the U.S. has a population five times greater than the U.K. Yeah. Five times greater. So what does that mean? That means that if we have 10 incidents, they have 24 relative to the population. They would only need to have two to equal. Right. Because the population is five times greater Mm -hmm. here, it's going to feel like this happens all the time here. But when you look at it on a per capita basis, it's like, no, actually, like you guys have a bigger, significantly bigger problem. Now, by the way, I I do feel like this is probably oversimplifying it a little bit. I mean, because realize that, I mean, countries are different. Cultures are different. Attitudes are different. I mean, it's such a complex problem. And that's exactly why we, we actually need to be talking about real solutions and not this knee-jerk reaction to, well, it's obviously the assault rifles. Obviously. we got to get rid of that crap. And, and background checks that they keep yeah. passing. Exactly. Right. So, uh, Let's not blame the FBI for <laughs> letting all these people buy guns. Well, they were too busy investigating right. Russian collusion. Let's, let's blame the, the 5 million members of the NRA. It's their <laughs> fault. <laughs> Here's another really amazing article, by the way. Uh, this one kind of blew my mind a little bit because of the source. Okay. This article comes from Northeastern uh, University. Okay. And uh, I mean, when do we ever have things come out of universities anymore that aren't like biased and skewed? <laughs> towards things like guns (laughs) that's at least that's that's my impression academia you know (laughs) uh let me read the the kind of the opening of this because this is really telling okay so here's the title first of all this is this is on news.northeastern.edu this is directly from the university schools 
get ready for this, are safer than they were in the 90s. And school shootings are not more common than they used to be, researchers say. The deadly school shooting this month in Parkland, Florida, has ignited national outrage and calls for action on gun reform. But while certain policies may help decrease gun violence in general, it's still debatable, it's unlikely that any of them will prevent mass school shootings. According to James Allen Fox, the Lipman Family Professor of Criminology, Law, and Public Policy at Northeastern. I mean, so first of all, this is a legit dude at a legit university. Uh, and he's saying, um, guys, uh, this gun reform that you're you know, talking about, you're saying that we have to do this because, you know, because of the schools. And schools are not, you know, they're, they're less safe. And school shootings are happening all the time, all this stuff. Well, they did a, a ton of research, a ton of research. I mean, there's all kinds of great little charts and graphs. And, I mean, it's, it's, it's detailing all these statistics about all these different school shootings and the the picture it paints is that it's happening at a late at a rate less than it did in the 90s and there are less deaths occurring in school shootings even with this latest terrible one uh well i don't know if that's necessarily included in all these numbers or statistics uh they do show some things here that are up through 2016 for instance but but they're saying that this is not anything. It's not an epidemic. Uh, yeah, it's not an epidemic. Is is a key phrase that is that is used here. I don't, I don't know what to add to that one. It's uh, you know, read the research. I'm sure there's plenty of conflicting research that says the opposite. But um, a lot of it is how you define things. You know, how do we define a mass shooting, or how do we divide define this or that? And yep. The short answer is don't believe what you hear. The, the truth right. is generally in the middle, not on any of the extreme bullcrap stuff that being being said. Yep. Go go read this article. This article, uh, I think, will really. I mean, it, it's it's hard to argue with. First of all, it's pretty darn uh, factual. There are some conclusions that they arrive at in here that I don't. You know, there's there's some pretty big assumptions actually that are still made, which is disappointing to see. Uh, not necessarily a surprise, but where everything else is pretty well, you know. Are, it, it, it's it it's just done really well, but there are still some conclusions that are not exactly. Uh, I mean, here's a good example. For instance, he says here, uh, this professor, he says uh, some policy changes aimed at decreasing school shootings and gun violence in general certainly have merit. And the first option he mentions is banning bump stocks. Which school shootings has bump stocks been used in? Zero ever. <laughs> And raising the age to purchase uh, for assault rifles from 18 to 21 are good ideas and may lead to a decrease in overall gun violence, he said. I'd like to see his evidence that supports that, <laughs> but whatever. So, I mean, like I said, I mean, he does generally a pretty good job. There's all kinds of evidence that he does point to in here and draws some really good conclusions from. There's just some other conclusions that I have to look past. Uh, but overall, a pretty darn good uh, piece. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, the conclusions he draws that you don't like are not based on any data. It's just kind of anecdotally him it, saying, hey, these these are probably a good idea. Yeah, exactly. But here's what my dad is telling me. Yep. So pretty eye-opening article, like I said, especially eye-opening because of where it comes from. Uh, it was a, a, a pleasant surprise to me. I just, I saw that. I couldn't believe it. I was like, I can't believe they wrote this. Uh, all right. So let's get now to some justified stories. Yeah, game on. Okay. 
First one is uh, just an incredible story, okay? And this video has been kind of going somewhat viral. I've seen it getting posted a variety of places. And so this is referring to a liquor store robbery in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And uh, I'm just going to – I'm showing to the screen here, by the way. So you've probably seen this, many of you. You've got two female clerks working in this store. A male suspect comes in with a sawed-off shotgun, pointing it right at them. You know, classic, you know, he's sticking them up, holding them, you know, uh, it's a hold-up, right? He's taking the money, whatever. And initially, he gets whatever stuff she hands over to him, and he appears to leave. Yeah, goes out the door. You see the other female clerk come in, come back into the frame. This is a surveillance video. And she comes back behind the counter and they kind of duck down behind the the counter. Okay. And they're grabbing, you know, one lady's grabbing the phone. She's starting to call 911 and they grab a a revolver. Okay. So now, uh, and and one of the clerks is a younger woman. The other one's a, you know, older woman, older than the other one, obviously. So the older lady's grabbed a revolver and the other younger lady's calling 911. And while they are hiding behind the counter, this guy comes back into the store and he comes over to them and they don't, they don't see him coming back and they, it startles them at first. So the, the lady with the revolver turns and initially shoots at him. Pause. Yeah. So first lesson learned here is a physical, a physical security one. Yeah. Because was there, for this robber to get behind the counter where they were, did he have to jump over? No, and it appears that it had, you know, it was just, it, just, it was an island, yeah, right? Yeah. So you, you could walk around and, it. And right next to the entrance. I mean, probably from walking through the door to getting behind the counter mm-hmm. is like less than five feet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So anyway, you can see right. the, the door is right there. Just something to be thinking about when you talk about, you know, the defensive position you're creating. And for some of you guys who are business owners or, or yeah. thinking about this in your business, like they, they were not protected. Since you're talking about lessons learned already, here's another big one. And we actually talk about this in the vehicle firearm tactics course. Ooh, I love I integration. Men- I, Good job. I mentioned it a couple of times in that course because I, I mentioned that it's important to maintain visual contact with your threat. Mm-hmm. If you lose contact, if you if you lose sight of them, I think it's self-explanatory. I mean, you've got an object between you and your threat, and now you can't see them. They can go this way. Yeah, they can go flanked. that way. Yeah. And, and you won't know it until it's too late. Yep. Okay. Now I know that, that that realizes, or I realize that means that you may be having to expose yourself slightly so you can maintain that visual contact, but maintaining visual contact is important. Another great example of this, by the way, is the, uh, the, the Dallas officers that were killed, uh, you know, a year, year and a half plus ago now. Um, and there's that, that one officer that's in the shootout with the bad guy. Um, and they're, they're basically taking cover behind pillars on the outside of this building. It's total Hollywood shootout, right? right? Like yeah. I pop out my head, you pop out yours. Yep. We take turns. What happens there from what we can see, I'm positive. This is what, what happened is the officer loses visual contact because he's taking cover. I mean, he's got a guy with an AK shooting at him. He's got a, and the officer's got a handgun. I mean, it makes sense, right? So he's ducking back behind the column, and all it takes is a, is a couple of times of that where he loses visual contact with his threat, and the threat is able to flank him from the other side where he can't see until it's too late, and down he goes. So we see that same thing happen here with these two store clerks. After they feel like the situation has resolved itself, the threat has left the store, they now hunker down behind the counter 
where they can't see the front of the store. They can't nope. see anything. They're focused on, we took cover, call 911, I've got the gun, but all of a sudden this dude just poof, appears from around the side of the counter. And I mean, it's like, it's a, you can see the startle, the startle, the startled reaction of the one clerk. She's like, Whoa, Hey, and then she fires her gun. Yeah. Now okay. at this distance too, bear in mind, like, you know, it's almost a contact shot. Yeah. It's pretty close. I, I mean, if it had been you, it would have been a contact shot for sure. Right. <laughs> I mean, you were, I mean, you, you may not have shot that way, but my point is like you're, you're, you have long enough arms that you could have bought. It was, them. It was close quarters for sure. Yeah. Very small. <clears throat> yep. Uh, I'm, Fairly confident that first shot probably hit the guy. I mean, yeah, I mean, she rushed it pretty quick, but yep. but he's so close, right? Okay, so she fires once, she fires a second time, and now this dude at this point is he's he's booking to get out the door. Yep. She fires a third time as he's going out the door. Yeah, through the glass. Yeah. So now, oh, situation is is over again, right? No, the dude comes back again. He comes in. His hands are blood. And this time, yeah. he's like, I don't know. It's like he's trying to talk to them, like yeah. reason with them. He no like, longer has his mask or hoodie on. Right. His, the shotgun, we don't know where it's, that's it's at. It's almost like he came in to say, hey, why'd you shoot me? <laughs> like his hands are covered in blood. Yeah. And he's he like his shot. Yeah, his shotgun's gone. His face is exposed. Yep. His hands are covered in blood. And he walks in sort of like, what's going on? Yeah. <laughs> did, did you shoot me? <laughs> well, yeah, it's 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 really a, quite a scene, you know. And and so once again, these ladies let their guard down. Okay, so the older store clerk, she's kind of like talking with them, and he's kind of dancing around a little bit, and she's sort of like you know dancing the other way. You she's know, like they're kind of yelling doing, at him. Yeah, yeah, you know, and and uh, it, she's she's not pointing the gun at him anymore. You'll notice that she 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 sort of puts it down. Her she's guard goes resting down. at her side. Okay? Yeah, and. Uh, and at one point, so they, they kind of exchange positions. So he swings around her. He ends up closer to the door. Because uh, she, she, initially, he actually comes in. He comes further into the store. So they actually have uh, reverse position. He gets a lot closer to her, and he finds an opportunity where he swoops in. He grabs a hold of her hand with the gun. Now she's wrestling for her life with that gun. The other store clerk, by the way, she also gra- is able to grab a pistol and it's very apparent from watching the video that she does not she does not know how to use this thing. No, and she but she'd like to. She's trying to help out the yep. older store clerk. The, yep. The, the, that's in a fight over a gun that's half empty by now, probably at least. If it's a five shot revolver, she's fired yeah, three shots. And by this point, I I counted four shots. Yeah. Okay. The, the, um, it's it it's hard to tell exactly. Uh, I know I described only three shots just a moment ago, but by this point where they're wrestling for the gun, what I could see was it appeared that there's probably a one, one shot, shot left in this yeah. gun. It's yeah. still a threat. It's still a danger. Oh, no, sure. So she's wrestling over the other, the, yep. other, the other gal. She's got a separate gun, and she fires one shot for sure during the struggle, which hard to tell from the camera who it would have hit, frankly. It was in my <laughs> it's pretty in, sketchy. Yeah, it's, it was definitely probably not a quality shot. I mean, as she fires that shot, the, the, the bad guy is, is still wrestling with the woman over the revolver. And as she, this shot is fired, he sort of like swings his body in between uh, the two women. Yeah, that's and, right. And, I mean, so... It's, it's, it's questionable. I mean, the, the story says nothing about the other clerk getting right. Injured, so right? let's assume that either it missed or it hit the bad guy. Yep. Uh, so, so that's kind of how that goes down. Now, so, so you're getting a couple lessons as we go. We talked about the, kind of the physical security we talked about letting the guard down. We talked about keeping visual on the target uh, or, or the threat. And now we have a situation where, I mean, to say that she let her guard down is not even, doesn't even begin to cover it. Right. Right. I yep. mean, she, it's almost like she's like, 
it's, it's to me it's almost like she put her hand down with the gun walked off to him put, put her hand on his shoulder and said are you okay no, that's not really yeah. what happened but but, but it feels yeah. like that like yeah. watching the video you're like are you kidding yeah you know kind of thing and, and it, it just gets it just gets horrible from there yeah but fortunately i mean the story ends up that bad dude ends up hurt ends up in the hospital mm-hmm. two store clerk ladies are okay Here's the final final lesson I would have here. Yep. It, is it possible that our female clerks thought they were safe because they thought they'd shot somebody a few times? Yeah. Oh, I, I right? don't disagree. So there's something yep. inherent about our brain, mostly trained via all the television all of us have consumed, that believes that when we shoot that BG a few times, they're probably going to like run out the front of that convenience store, fall down on the pavement three feet away and be dead in 20 seconds or less. Well, yeah. Stopping power definitely is, is an issue in this story, right? It, it, whether it's psychological as far as like they believe, Hey, you know I mean? Like, like I I can tell just watching the body language of these two women that this is a traumatic experience for them. Sure. As it would be for any of us. Of course. But, but as they're shooting the guns and everything, it's kind of like, like oh, oh man i just shot him like oh, oh you know i had to shoot him again you know like like they're very hesitant to unload yeah you or, know what or I mean? grip a gun properly i mean like matter. and by unload i mean like unload on the guy like you know i mean stop the threat if now. this was if, if this was me and you know if i was either one of these ladies right <laughs> i mean it's i'm shooting multiple times i'm shooting until the threat is no longer a threat now in the be- in the beginning right he leaves the store stopping power right some psychological aspect here but also the belief that the situation is done and over with and secure mm-hmm. right yep you can't make the assumption no. that that it's over I, I estimate this guy took at least five shots okay uh, from, oh yeah from relatively close quarters and at the end yep. of the video he walks away he walks away now eh, kind of stumbles <laughs> see, he, he looked like he was a little drunk a little rough. He was uh, he was definitely hurt. But he was still a threat. If he if he still had a knife in his hand or if he still had a gun in his hand, which he did. Yeah. And by he, that point, by the way, the, the women have now, they have exited left, out they, yeah. of the store. They left him in there. Which yeah. was what they needed to do at that point. Yeah, that was fine. Uh, he's was, still in the good. store and they, phew, away they go. And, yeah. and like I said, it all resolves to where, I mean, the good guys win or good gals and the bad guy loses. And that's the way we want it to be. And that's the way it ought to be. And this is just another story out of many hundreds and hundreds that we have shared and talked about on this podcast and studied we're good guys with guns stop yep. bad guys with guns so if it had been you or i you yep. know the guy takes the money he leaves we're like okay great for whatever reason we weren't able to get our gun before now we have it yep. okay guy yeah. guy starts that was coming. another thing was the guns not being on, right, on the person right, right. Yep. He, he probably should have seen the gun and stole the gun instead of the cash but he anyway, was reaching in he, that area yeah he, i don't know why he missed the gun so so Okay, now I've, I've, you know, now I'm taking a defensive situation. Uh, 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 I'm taking a defense, a defensive, you know, place or position. I guess is what I'm looking for. Uh, guy starts coming back in. You know, I'm on, I'm on threat. He has a shotgun. You know, why am I waiting for him? I, I have eyes on target. I start firing now. Okay, so let's assume yeah. we start firing now. Great, we get a couple shots on. He's scared. He takes off. We keep our defensive situation, right? Yeah. No longer threat. He's gone. Comes back in again. Boom, drop it again, right? Yeah. Pop, 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 pop. Either I'm going to shoot until he's clearly no longer a threat because he's down 
or he's left again. He should have never made it more than one step back into the store. Uh, and, and back in is the key word here, right? Because w- right. what, what Riley did not just say is he should never have made it one step out of the store. Right. Right? Because we don't, you know, leaving the store is perfectly fine. The threat is done. The threat is eliminated when he's gone. Yeah. Right? So coming back in is the problem. Yeah. Uh, keeping visual contact. You know, at least one of those women should have just at least been keeping an eye and confirming that the, that he's gone, that the threat's over with. And upon seeing him come right back, yeah, you have a resumed threat. The threat's come back. You could re-engage as soon as he was coming back into that store, and he should have never made it back into the store. Crazy story, guys. Uh, I mean, it just uh, I, we saw this one, and it was. I mean, it's just one of those things where you have to see it to believe it. So uh, here's another one. We got a story out of Milwaukee. Jacob, I know that you were reading this one earlier tonight, and you were just like, whoa. So tell us about it. Yeah. This, and we're going to be there in two days. Yeah. Yeah. We'll be in Milwaukee <laughs> later this week. So uh, visiting, visiting some amigos, uh, our instructor that's there. We have an instructor in Milwaukee mm-hmm. and the, uh, our friends at the USC. Melissa. State. Melissa. So here's a short story. Uh, basically, you have uh, kind of a, uh, I don't know if they said sketchy neighborhood, but certainly like this area, this parking lot's very dark. It's not well lit. Well, uh, kind of an industrial area. W- one of the good guys in the story described it as a war zone. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So he said there's carjackings here all the time. Right. Yeah. So, and, and he also said that most of the, most of the people here carry, right? The employees yep. or whatever. And so you got a guy, he's on his, I, I think he's leaving work is the, is the impression I get. He climbs into his car. Maybe he's letting it heat up a little bit because it's you know winter. Yep. And while he's doing so, he gets approached kind of from behind, definitely from the rear. You know, so I'm sitting in my driver's seat for whatever reason. I'm I'm, I'm not moving yet, and I you know someone's coming from behind toward me. At, you know, in my rear. Maybe I see him in the rearview mirror, or something like that. So the good guy, uh, the the driver of the vehicle, he he drives he draws his firearm, and he fires. Yeah, so I, I, I'm just going to back up a little bit, right? I mean, sure. you touched on it already, but uh, let me just kind of quote from here. It says here, many who work in the area said carjackers frequent these businesses looking for vehicles to steal, and many workers are concealed carry permit holders. Now, like I said, I know you said that already. Uh, just quoting directly from this article and they are telling, I mean, they're quoting from these these workers that work in the area um, that are telling them about this stuff. So, I mean, this is crazy, number one, that there's a that there's a place like that in Milwaukee, by the way. I'm reminded of the Milwaukee, I think it was a police chief, that uh, talked about, you know, uh, the, the, the dangers of the concealed carry permits now being, you know, uh, you know, numbers. That was Milwaukee. Yeah, yeah, it's the police idiot. chief, and, yeah. right? He said... You know, this is just making things so much worse in Milwaukee. The fact that we now have uh, shall issue concealed carry in the state of Wisconsin. And I remember back then when I heard that, I thought, dude, you're the police chief. It sounds to me like you're not doing your job. And this story, in my opinion, is is more evidence of that. If they have parts of town that are this bad, um, how about you stick a few more cops in that area? Yeah, I right. Mean, here's a quote. It's a war zone. So you're used to carjackers. You're used to murderers. You got to watch out for stuff like that. If you're not a victim, I'm not trying to be a victim. So, end quote. 
since we're going to be there in a few days and we'll be renting a car, uh, this is near Fond du Lac and Flag. We're, we're not going to that part of town. I guess we'll remember. Yeah. So, you know, and then I'll just add one quick thing. And I don't know if our good guy knew this at the time he opened fire. Yep. But police did say that the would-be robber also had a gun. Yeah. Totally. So, so he was armed. There was a, there was a deadly threat there. Yep. Uh, there's another person here, uh, Leah Williams. It, she's quoted in the article saying, it's really dark here early in the morning. Makes you a little nervous. Um, she works at a nearby daycare. <laughs> this place is a war zone. I mean, this is just, wow. So, I mean, once again, uh, one of the reasons why we felt very passionate about putting together that vehicle firearm tactics course was because of all the justified stories we've shared on the podcast, a good number of them. I mean, on a near weekly basis, if not every other week, we're sharing a story where someone has to defend themselves in or around their vehicle. So it is not a common occurrence, but it's something that you should at least have some basic principles in your mind, you know, things to keep in mind, a basic knowledge of what to do and how to do it, things not to do in and or around your vehicle as it relates to your personal defense. So go check out Vehicle Firearm Tactics. Shameless plug. So here's our final story, and we got to wrap it up. It's late. Um, Illinois. And this is a, I mean, I told you, we had a story coming up. This is just, the timing couldn't be more perfect. I mean, there's all this talk about AR-15s, you know, anti-semi-automatic rifles, uh, you know, how they serve no purpose. They're killing, they're weapons of war. They're killing machines. Uh, you know, all this just terrible propaganda about them, how there's no good legitimate use or purpose for an AR-15, okay? Out of Illinois. Uh, this is uh, Oswego, I think is how you say it. Ah, yeah, Illinois, sure. okay? Sure. Illinois man armed with AR-15 stops attack against neighbor. This this was reported on several local news outlets there. This particular story is from actionnewsjacks.com. An Illinois man armed with an AR-15 rifle stopped an attack against his neighbor at his apartment complex Monday, WGN reported. Dave Thomas of Oswego Township said he saw one of his neighbors being attacked with a knife during an argument, police said. Thomas ran into his house, fetched his rifle, and returned, ordering the attacker to stop. I poked my head out the door. There was a pool of blood. Blood was everywhere in the hall, Thomas told WGN. WGN, there was still a confrontation going on. There were about three or four people involved at this point. So I ran back into my house and grabbed my AR-15. I grabbed the AR-15 over my handgun, bigger gun, I think a little more of an intimidation factor, definitely played a part in him actually stopping. The suspect left the area but was later captured by police, WGN reported. The stabbing victim was taken to the hospital. Police said Thomas has a valid firearm owner's identification card and a concealed carry permit. The AR-15 has been at the center of a gun control debate. We know all that. Okay, but here's the, here's the key. And you already heard it in the story, but once again, Dave Thomas, the hero in the story, reiterated that the AR-15 was his quote-unquote weapon of choice for home protection. It's light. It's maneuverable. If you train and know how to use it, it's not dangerous. Good job, Thomas. Thanks for proving a point. You know, we, 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 this is kind of where we started out our episode today. 
We're talking yep. about AR is is the you know, epitome of awesomeness. I will say this one thing though about, yep. about that we could learn from this, and uh, my little criticism of, of Mr. Thomas here, Dave Thomas, not not the chicken man, but this this Dave Thomas in this story. Where where was your handgun exactly? Yeah, that you had to run back into the into the apartment and retrieve your rifle suggests you didn't even have your handgun on you at all. I suspect though, Jacob, that. Ma- <laughs> probably the majority of gun owners that do carry regularly aren't carrying on their person when they're at home. Well, that's a problem, right? And it, it, I understand it's understandable. Okay. But we talk about this all the time. All right. Because we do, we do see a lot of stories. We've reported on many of them and this is a common theme. It's a common thread throughout dozens and dozens and dozens of stories where people are in need of a gun and it's not readily available. It's not immediately at their disposal. One thing we don't report on are the story. We don't do this very often. Are the stories that go wrong, right? We don't we don't find these stories because it's hard to find them. You know, we don't know what what might have happened had someone been prepared and if somebody had had the right tools at their disposal to defend themselves. And so. I'm sure those tragedies do occur. In fact, I know they do. But uh, what we like to focus on is the positive that good guys with guns do every day in this country stop bad guys with guns. And sometimes those good guys are wielding the dreaded AR-15. That's because it works. Yeah. Keep in mind that last story we just shared didn't require a shot to be fired. Yeah, which means it won't make a lot of the statistics that we otherwise would check, like justifiable homicides. Yep. Right, things like that. That's right. Yeah. There's no statistic for de-escalation of force without shots fired. Yep. Well, folks, I appreciate you sticking around with us uh, late this uh, Tuesday. Now, actually, it's technically Wednesday morning for us here, even on the (laughs) West Coast. Jacob is shaking his head. Uh, But, hey, you know, we're committed to the podcast. It's a big part of what we do. Uh, we re- we are thankful. Honestly, our hearts are full of gratitude for for you guys. Because without you, there'd be no point to what we do. So, wrapping it up, saying goodnight to you all. Go to concealedcarry.com forward slash VFT podcast for that podcast listeners only special offer that that dies. It dies tonight. Okay, <laughs> as you're hearing this now. Uh, the uh, last day of February, midnight mid, midnight Mountain Time, that special podcast listeners only offer, it, it goes away. So, And there were some good lessons learned from stories that we covered in this episode today that have direct correlation to that vehicle firearm tactics course. So with that, Jacob, I'm going to bid you good night, sir. Good night. <laughs> he, he can't wait. And uh, guys on Facebook, thanks for joining us and being a part of this. So with that, this is Riley and Jacob at the Concealed Carry Podcast. We are going to sign off. We will see you probably late again on Thursday <laughs> or something. I don't know. We, we will see. We have, a, But we do have a special uh, interview prepared for Thursday. We you do. Forward to. We'll be sharing a special interview with you guys. So we will see you later. Take care. Be safe out there. We'll see you next time.
a reminder that laws vary from place to place, and we encourage listeners to seek local legal advice to understand applicable laws. The Concealed Carry Podcast, Concealed Carry Inc., ConcealedCarry.com, and their affiliates strive to share insights and stories about firearm-related incidents and laws, but things could be different where you live, or laws may have changed by the time you listen to this. We cannot be held liable for your actions based on the information shared in this podcast.